This episode of Pick Up the Six podcast is brought to you by Naked Warrior Recovery. They were created with a clear initiative to develop premium products to support physical and mental recovery through innovation and excellence. You'll remember we had Will Branham on our show recently. He's the founder of Naked Warrior Recovery. Their dedication to product quality stems from Will's own personal journey as a 26-year Navy SEAL veteran. Their standards for quality and effectiveness are carried over from a lifetime of service in elite, unconventional special operations teams to small, unconventional company. They're dedicated to recovery of veterans, first responders, and athletes. We have a great deal for you guys. Go to their website, nw-recovery.com, and use the code PUT6, that's the number six, to save 20% off today. Bam! They're a Navy SEAL-owned and operated CBD company supporting mental and physical recovery. Check them out, nw-recovery.com. Use that code PUT6 and save 20% off just like that today. Thank you to Naked Warrior Recovery for teaming up with Pick Up the Six Podcast. Eric Holman has been on the front lines before. As an Air Force combat controller, he was tasked with hunting down terrorists. And as a special operator, he's been awarded the Bronze Star with Valor. He's aiming to serve on the front lines yet again. We get to know Eric on today's Pick Up the Six podcast. Eric, what's up, man? Good to have you. Hey, man. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thrilled to do this one. Uh, excited for the connection that has become uh, this conversation and to yeah. dig in. And you got big sights in front of you. You've served our nation with the uniform on, and now you're in the middle of running for Congress in the great state of Texas, the 28th district. We're going to talk about that and why you're motivated to do that. Uh, but first, want to get to know you a little bit and just thrilled, man. Honored to have you today, quite frankly, given your your background and and uh, and your story, man. I'm excited to share it. I oh, appreciate it. No, was, thank you for, I mean, it was good to be had mutual connections, right? Because if not, you probably would have never found me. I'm pretty, pretty, uh, came out of the, I guess, blanking everybody, you know, when you were, I was coming from. So it was like, who is this guy? Especially combat control. Well, I was going to say, it sounds like a good combat controller. If all of a sudden you're on the scene and they didn't know you were coming, I'm like, well, that seems <laughs> yeah. like the way you probably want to get that done. Yeah, 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 absolutely. It's awesome, man. Any chance I get to talk to an Air Force guy is always great, too. My dad flew uh, fighters uh, for oh, almost nice. his entire career. Man was an F-15 guy, squadron commander, wing commander, NATO commander. And so to get a combat controller on the show is super exciting for me as a kid who got to grow up in and around that. So I'm just thankful yeah. for you and grateful to do it. Yeah, that's awesome. My first uh, tick or my first, you know, troops in contact, um, I, was, I, I was sent to F-15 Eagles. So that was my first. As a combat controller, I was with the our the SF commander, uh, and he was just like called a tick because we were taking rounds into our our up armored. And I remember switching over to uh, to get into headquarters, you know, and I told him who I was. You know, I was like, "Hey, we're troops in contact, immediate immediate air support, blah blah blah." And it was the guy manning the radio was uh, from I don't know, he wasn't English, he was probably Polish or something, and. And he was like, yeah, you know, my call sign at the time was Night Owl. I was like, Night Owl, I'm sending you two F-15s supersonic. And <laughs> turned the dial from SATCOM to air. I could hear the pilot like, <laughs> he's like, hey, Night Owl, this is, you know, I don't know what they call it. It was like Eagle 2-1 and 2-2. We're, we're overhead, brother. Like, what do you need? I was like, holy cow, this is super fast, you know. And, but yeah, man, everything just comes into play. But yeah, I always have love for F-15s because they were the first guys ever come in and help me out in a, in a firefight. So yeah, super appreciative of the Eagles. Yeah. Hey, let me ask you about that real quick. I mean, cause sure. we're going to kind of bounce around a little bit, but I've talked yeah. to Casey Campbell who flew a tens 
right uh, downrange. Uh, and she talked a lot about, you know, being that line where you're able to get sort of eyes on the enemy, but just the importance for knowing that you're there to serve the guys on the ground, right? So as a combat controller, you're down on the ground, right? You're trying to put eyes on enemies so you can then call in support to come take bad guys out. What kind of confidence when you heard the the Eagles are coming or whatever other aircraft was coming in? I mean, I got a feeling that you're just like, oh, hell yeah, let's go. My guys are on the way. Oh, absolutely. It's a morale boost, you know, because that whole ODA, I was with an ODA, I was with the Special Forces team. So as soon as, you know, we're taking rounds and they all kind of look at the Air Force guy and they're like, do your job. And then you're just on the, pushing the mic. But no, it, it just hearing that pilot, whether it's an F-15, F-16, A-10, Apache, 58, whatever it is, any air platform that has weapons on it, it just it just gives you that warm fuzz. It's like, okay, and these pilots, I mean, they, they will do anything for the ground guys. I mean, and, and much respect to those guys, you know, I mean, they will sacrifice their aircraft and, some, and, and themselves to to make sure that the guys on the ground are, are supported. So, you know, I mean, A-10s, uh, obviously, I never uh, worked with A-10s during my deployments. I always had F-15s, F-16s, F-18s, but a lot of my buddies have. And, and the cool thing about the A-10s is they're, they're, they're an up-armored, you know, aircraft. Mm-hmm. And they can get low, man. So, I mean, and they can take rounds and they don't even care. I mean, I'm sure you've seen pictures of A-10s getting shot up and they're still like laying away. So, yep. Yeah, a, A-10s are, yeah, they're, they're all, I mean, they're, they're probably the favorite one, but the F-15, like I was telling you earlier, carries a huge payload. So <laughs> yes, I was right. like, those guys, <laughs> their field time is not that long, but yeah, it, it's, they're great. Yeah, the, the special thing about the A-10, and guys, go back and listen to the interview we did with Casey Campbell, because she talks about getting shot up in Iraq and basically having a limp back into Kuwait. Yeah. It, it, and she, she explains it perfectly. It's an airplane built around a Gatling gun. Like oh, they yeah. took a Gatling gun and built an airplane around it. What's not yeah. to like? Yeah, if you see the skeleton of, of it without the you know yeah. the the skin of it, I mean it's it's a huge cannon, right? And then it's yeah. the pilot and the rest of the plane. It's yeah. pretty wild. So you've got this super common story, right? Uh, kid born in Mexico migrates to the U.S. because uh, yeah. joins the military. So just tell us, man, it's an incredible story, right? Your family from Mexico. You were born in Mexico, came yeah. into the United States. So so just tell us a little bit about your upbringing and, and life that brought you to America. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm, you know, I, I, it's truly America's land of opportunity. And it, it breaks my heart when people that are born here or, have, you know, have had it here for so for so long and so good that they don't realize how great America is. That's why we have so many people migrating to the U.S. But uh, yeah, I, I was born in Mexico City. Um, both my parents are Mexican. Uh, my dad was a talented jeweler. He left to the U.S. to pursue the American uh, dream. And then two years later, he brought my mom and my sister over. And, you know, we did it the right way. But unfortunately, my dad was, you know, yeah, it sucks to, to say, it, but he became an alcoholic and was pretty, pretty bad guy towards my mom. So they ended up getting divorced. And then uh, luckily, my, my mom and my stepdad, that's why I have a last name, a German last name, it's Homan, which yeah. people see me, they're like, what are you? Are you Mexican or what, what's going on here? Right. You know, so they, and right. I have an accent, so people, it freaks people out even more. But yeah, man. Um, you know, my stepdad came in, stepped up, and I became a U.S. citizen, which is, that was the number one goal. My parents, you know, we, I think my dad told me once, we never made over 40 grand a year. And mm-hmm. it was just, they just busted their asses, you know. And we, uh, you know, my mom's and my dad's uh, major thing was education. So I graduated, went to Texas Tech for two years. Obviously, I was having a little too much fun in Texas Tech being by myself. So my parents said, hey, I can't afford this anymore. The Air Force, you know, was, uh, had that. I guess a promotion for lack of a better word. Hey, uh, 
joint, give us four years, we pay for your school. So I said, okay, I'll do that. So I wanted to be in business. And uh, 9-11 happened. And I came in as a cop in the Air Force. Mm. And I just wanted to do more, man. I, I just, I wanted revenge, to be honest with you. I wanted revenge for what they did to us. So I run into a combat controller because I was going to leave to join either the Army or the Navy. And he's like, what are you, crazy? He's like, you're an Air Force combat. He's like, join the Air Force combat controllers, man. I was like, we drop bombs, we dive, we shoot, we do everything. And then you have the great qualities of the Air Force life. So I was like, oh, man. And uh, I did that two-year program, uh, got through it, and uh, started deploying to Afghanistan, man. But, yeah, I mean, America, I mean, obviously, I dear to my heart and, you know, yeah. and, and all the friends that I've lost fighting. So, yeah, dude, I mean, this, this country's great. And it, it, like I said, it just breaks my heart when people have had it so good here. They don't realize what they have. Hey, Eric, when most people, you know, uh, listening and just maybe just most folks out there think about, you know, special operator in the military, they probably lock in on Navy SEALs, They're probably thinking about, you know, Green Berets, right? Army, Navy, special yeah. operators. It's probably like, right. It's like sort of the quintessential look and feel yeah. to what a special operator looks like. But the Air Force has this incredibly unique and very skilled positioned special operator in these combat controllers. So can you can you give us a comparison, right? Like what's an Air Force combat controller like maybe compared to a SEAL or, sure. or somebody else? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, combat controllers, I, I'll tell you my personal experience from, from 20 guys that I joined the pipeline as they call it, the training program. Out of 20 of those guys, only four of us made it, you know, where we're full Scarlet Beret and then deploying to Afghanistan. The rest of them were either quit, got injured. It's a tremendous, uh, difficult job. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, there's, it tells you right there, 85 to 90% of the men can't, can't do this job. But compared to other soft units, right, uh, they're all in the war machine. Everybody has their specialty, right? The SEALs, the SF guys, the Raiders, everybody has their own little piece of, of the war machine. but the combat controller, after the first year of training, I mean, you, you're airborne qualified, you demo, combat control school teaches demolition, small arms, weapons, uh, survival training. I mean, that's your first year. Oh, and air traffic control school. So not only are you getting up at 445 in the morning to PT for about two hours, but then you got to go to class till I think it was almost six or somewhere around there. And you're learning air traffic control. And it's, I mean, that's difficult, man. Air traffic control is I mean, I had a hard time with it. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but then you compare it and then you go to your second year and it's advanced skills training. Um, and it's all major heavy weapons. You go to combat dive school, you go to halo school, and then, then you start doing full mission profiles. So in those two years, the combat controller graduating those two years, he can start deploying right away. The SEALs, the SF guys, I mean, they, they just don't have that, you know, I mean, we're just, you got to be a super strong guy, but also very, very mentally capable, right? And critical thinker. And because when you go to the battlefield, you're thinking of four dimensional space. I mean, you can train guys to do, um, you know, small weapon unit tactics and, and you can train for, you know, shooting and, and breaching and all that other stuff. But for a combat controller to have all that plus the air piece, because you got to control aircraft and stack them and, and, you know, deconflict them with air and how they're coming in or their gun runs, because if, if you mess that up, I mean, your team will die or you can, you can destroy those aircraft up there. So, I mean, comparison, you know, I, my buddy put it best when I, when I was a young controller and, and uh, I think it was a Bravo that was giving me a hard time from a SF team. He's like, why is the air force here? What do you do? And I always remember my buddy saying, he's like, you tell those guys, Hey man, you do what you can. I do what you can't. And that's not bragging. That's just, fact man i you know combat control is i think 
out of the second year you come out of there, you're worth over a million dollars. You're a very expensive human weapon system. Mm. So yeah, it's uh it's very difficult for sure. Thanks for painting that picture for us. No, it's it's good yeah. to to hear it and get the comparison. How how often were you in those downrange scenarios, working with uh, other soft guys from other branches, other teams? Right? What's the commingle like? Oh, it's uh, it's pretty. I think he, as a controller, it, you know, you have to have kind of a, a pretty good personality, right? Because you're you're joining the team, whether it's an SF team, a SEAL team, a you know, a Raider team, you're joining a team that those guys have been together through their pipeline for, for years or at least months. And you're joining in and say, Hey man, I'm here. And they got to trust you. Obviously you gotta, you gotta be, you know, everybody has their PT, like how many pushups can you do? Or how can you swim? Can you run? You know, there's always that measuring contest, but you join a, a different team and, and then when firefights take off and they start realizing what you have, the capabilities of not only calling in close air support or CAS as it's called, but resupply missions, you can have, you know, pick up medevacs. I mean, you're, you're running all that air piece. And uh, I think most guys, once you start seeing that from the, the sister services, they're, they're very appreciative and, and then you just mingle and then you just gel together as a, as a team. And I mean, when I was over there, I worked not only with American forces, uh, but, you know, Australian, Polish, uh, the Romanians, uh, the French, the Czech, I mean, you're it, because it's combat controller. I mean, you're just, continuously farmed out to different teams that might need you. So one of my deployments, I was near Kabul. So I would come in when my team wasn't doing ops and I would, I would help the teams down in Kabul or I would mm-hmm. get farmed out to different soft units or soft countries. Um, and combat controllers only work with special operation forces. No, not conventional. They're, they're strictly soft because we're such limited guys that we, that asset needs to be pushed to the right, you know, teams, whether coalition or, or American. Yeah. Why am I not surprised to hear that there's always competition amongst the ranks, right? Who can do the, the most push-ups? Or... I mean, and we're, and we're not alone, right? I mean, when we deploy, I mean, we depend on that team as we, they depend on you as you depend on them. So, I mean, mm-hmm. there's always that ribbing, you know, between sister forces. But I mean, when it comes down to a firefight, when we're killing the, the enemy. I mean, everybody's shooting the right way. And yeah. I mean, no one, no one looks at you. It's like, oh, you're the Air Force guy or the Army guy. And they, you know, it's, it's like, hey, let's, let's just, laid down some waste and get rid of these guys. So, I mean, it's, it's good, man. Who grew the best beards? Yeah. 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 Uh, I, I don't know. I've, I've grown a pretty good beard. Uh, I, uh, once I left the teams, I, I stopped shaving, you know, when, when, uh, we started deploying back, uh, I think when the war was kicking off, you know, when you grew a beard, people knew that you were one of the dudes leaving. So it was kind of like a, a badge of honor where you can walk around base and beard with no main tapes and, you know, your pants on blouse and stuff. And then yeah. when I left, I left the teams in 2013. So and I started seeing, you know, the, one of the guys with the ponytails and beards and stuff that can change tires. So uh, yeah, I was like, I'm shaving my beard. I'm on stage. The beer got hijacked by the hipster. Yeah. Yeah. The, what, I forgot what the hell they're called, but you know, you know, the yeah, guys, yeah, I got you, you know, I got so, you. yeah, I stopped shaving my beard. Hilarious. But, uh, yeah. I, I'll grow it once in a while, but other than yeah. that, in fact, I, I, <laughs> I remember Spanky Peterson, we episode, we interviewed on the set, just the second episode of our show. And he was the Black Hawk helicopter pilot okay. who went and picked up Marcus Luttrell. Right. And so you remember, right. Luttrell's got to get picked up by somebody. They send a six man Air Force Reserve unit in. And, and when he explains his team, Eric, it's a, it's a great episode because Spanky talks about 
you know, his FE was a guy that was in Vietnam. His, oh, his, his PJs were like college kids. They said these, right. It's, it's incredible the way these six men come together and go rescue this asset in Marcus yeah. Luttrell. But, <laughs> but Spanky talks about, it. they take him in to brief him before the mission. And he's like, I knew I was up. We knew we were up to something. Cause they took us into the room with all the guys with the beards. And we we're yeah. like, we're about, we're about to do something serious. I'm like, yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So. And for a while there. Yeah. I mean, we didn't wear name tapes. We didn't, I mean, we wore an American flag and, and right. maybe your blood type. Uh, but, and then as the war progressed, you know, that's, that's, what's terrible. As the war keeps going, obviously we were there for over 20 years, you know, then you got some non-operators like you guys need to wear name tapes and you need to wear reflective belts when you're back at Bagram. And you're just like, why? I'm like, why did yeah, I pay yeah, that yeah, cover yeah. charge? And, but because some piece of paperwork probably tells them that they have to. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, man, let's go to the summer of 2012. You're in Afghanistan. You guys are out on combat patrol and it gets a little gnarly for you and you end up in a pretty hairy situation, which ends yeah. up resulting in a bunch of gunfire. You doing some pretty incredible things. And I know you'll be humble about it, but ends up in the Bronze Star with Valor. So just tell me about that experience. What happened on that day? Yeah, so I had just gotten to that team. It was a team out of Japan. It was uh, ODA one five. And they were getting ripped. They were ripping out the, the the team that was in place. So I've been in country for five days, and I needed sleep because your your body's all messed up. So they tell this is how it started. So they tell me, "Hey man, you're brand new. We're getting settled in. We're ripping up the old team. Go get some sleep." So I said, "Okay." It was like two o'clock in the afternoon. I go get some sleep, and I, I think within an hour and a half, we, we hear base defense, and we're just the, the it was a little it was a little uh, you know we took over a little compound, and the thing was probably the size of a three bedroom house. I mean, it was maybe a little bit bigger than that, but we're taking fire from two sides, machine gun fire, RPG fire, and dudes are just running up to the wall and they're just laying down waste, you know? And uh, one of the, the, one of the ODA guys, ODA guy calls up and he's like, Hey man, we're pushing you F-18s. And so I'm kind of still half asleep, but I could see the muzzle fire from, from the, the machine gun that was shooting at us. So I'm just, I'm just firing my rifle and then all of a sudden F-18s kick in and, I'm controlling aircraft and shooting and, and I could hear guys shooting and, and you know, RPGs are coming in. When it, luckily no one got hit. Uh, there was one that exploded an RPG exploded and our, and, uh, a squad leader for the infantry team that we had caught some shrapnel on the leg, I believe, but it wasn't too bad. So then we repelled that, right. We repelled the base attack. And then, you know, all of us are talking about, cause it's like, Holy cow, we just got in country. We just got attacked. So we said, okay, party pal. Yeah, yeah. So tomorrow, they're like, tomorrow we're going in early. We're going to go to this village that was north of our little compound. We're going to go in and make our presence known. So we're like, okay. And it was early. Then we started walking at like 6 a.m., you know, to be there. I mean, it was only maybe a kilometer away, two kilometers. It wasn't far. And as soon as we break where it was kind of down a little little hill, as soon as we come down, I was talking to my fox. His name's Tim. Super good guy. He looks like Kid Rock and can really grow a beard, but he grew like this gnarly goatee. And we were talking about Spartacus and, uh, you know, because I, I don't know, we were just talking about Spartacus. We we're just bullshitting. And all of a sudden you hear that and that smack, you know, gets just mm-hmm. shit just hitting. And we're like, holy shit, we're getting hit. So we start firing and we run and we have a support element off to our to our east. And they're, they're getting attacked at the same time. So I didn't realize that these guys were up so early. So we're just taking in rounds. And and yeah, man, um, I get on the air on the air radio and because you know we carry two radios once for me once for the air and the other ones for for the team uh internal and uh i i'm trying to raise this we were supposed to have this predator watching our watching our back mm-hmm. you know providing overwatch and and i can't raise them so i switch over to satcom i take out my satcom antenna and, and i call in you know kind of our dispatch dispatch center 
And they're like, hey, man, I'm sorry to tell you your, your Pred canceled the last minute because of maintenance. It's like, oh. <laughs> the captain's looking at me he's like, where is this Predator with, you know, Hellfire? And I was like, hey, man, they canceled it. I didn't know. Uh, so then, you know, obviously, uh, dispatch center, uh, they're, they're sending in, you know, um, they're like, hey, yeah, we're going to send you Apaches, uh, AWT team. We're going to send you a, a Predator. We're going to send you an, uh, a manned uh, reconnaissance plane. Uh, we're going to send you F- F-16s. And they eventually send me a B-1 bomber. So they know we're true. And we're, it was so early in the morning that we're taking in fire that, you know, we're, we're troops in contact and we're getting hit from two different, um, two elements, you know. And the bad thing is this village is, you know, the rules of engagement had changed under the Obama administration. So even though we could kind of tell that fire was coming from a compound, we can just level it, right? Because collateral damage and, and civilian casualties. So it, it was terrible at, during the time that I was in because, Back in the day, uh, you know, if you were taking fire from from a compound and you didn't see any civilian casualties, I mean, obviously civilians going in and out of it, you could pretty much drop that building. Sure. But obviously, Americans, we're, we're always trying to protect life. So uh, we're taking fire, you know, support elements taking fire. And yeah, man, I mean, it, it, I think the firefight lasted about four hours. And it was just, you know, it, it wasn't luckily my firefight wasn't. Uh, like some of my friends had been, you know, super close, you know, a couple of meters away. I mean, it was, it would take sporadic fire, sniper fire. Um, and then we would just return fire from where we thought it was, you know, it's, and you know, those guys are pretty smart. They, they'd shoot, lay down their guns, maybe go out a different way and then shoot at us again. And then the aircraft, once they all established overhead, I think I had surface through about 37,000 feet or 34,000 feet. They were looking for these guys. I mean, that's, I mean, that's, what's great about, about having the aircraft. And um, so we were just trading fire, uh, for, for a while and then it was dying down and we were running out of ammo we we're running out of water and you know our, our our compound was not far away so the team leader decided to break contact it was like hey man we, we just need to get, the, get out of here so as we were we were hiding behind this berm and as we're about to start breaking contact an apache was was cruising you know and the the idiot that shot an rpg at us didn't realize that the gunner on that apache can look left and right even though the helicopters continue to go forward right so the gunner calls me and says, hey, there's a there's a guy that looks super suspicious, keeps poking his head out out of this compound that's that it was to the west of us. And I was like, all right, well, just keep your eye on him and, and let me know. So as soon as he thought the helicopter had passed his compound, you can tell the guy just comes out with an RPG and then the gunner just sees him and he's Boom. like, RPG. And the dude, just, as, as the gunner squeezing the trigger on, on his weapon system, the dude squeezes it off, right? I mean, I've seen the video and he just, I mean, it just becomes dust, right? After the rounds hit the guy, but the RPG gets launched, and luckily it missed us, um, and it explodes. RPGs usually explode six, uh, six hundred to nine hundred meters away. Um, so yeah, I mean, luckily that uh, that gunner was was Johnny on the spot looking at those guys because if not, I mean, that guy could have just killed me and my my team leader and, and two other guys. I had the medic with me and, and my buddy Tim, the the fox. So. Yeah, that was that was pretty wild, man. And, and you know, the B one obviously wanted to drop some, but I mean, it's just like I said, it was times of the rules of engagement when I was mm-hmm. there were pretty bad. Uh, but yeah, luckily we we started breaking contact. We we got back. Uh, if you look at, we'll talk about the campaign video later. But if you look at that first one or two seconds of campaign video, it's it's uh, my Delta returning fire with his two forty, and he's just like laying laying down a belt. You know, it was great to let him know we, we were still there. But uh. Yeah, the, the, no one got hurt. Team came back. 
But yeah, so uh, the Army put me up for that Brown Star with Valor, and, and yeah, it was good, man. I, I mean, it was, uh, I'm glad, I'm glad all, the, all the boys came back and no one yeah. got hurt. It's, it's one of those just great examples of all the pieces that are involved, right? Like that Apache's in the right place at the right time with the gunner in the right place at the right time for that. And it's amazing the way yeah. that plays out. Yeah, 100%. I mean, you know, I, you know, combat controllers, even though we were the sole attachment to a team I and mean, we, it's, it's a whole team thing, you know, and we, like I said, we all give each other, you know, we jab at each other, but I mean, when it comes down to it, everybody's down to, mm-hmm. to fight. And I mean, Apaches, they, after that fight, they were always there. And we were, I think, 20 kilometers from the nearest uh, air base. And it, it takes them a little bit. And, or maybe it was 20 minutes, I should say, not 20 kilometers, 20 minutes. But they were always constantly like, they would, they would hit me up on SATCOM or, you know, hey, we're going to be close if you need to swing by, you know, or any time. We were the most Southern team. So after that firefight, they were always ready to come QRF, a quick reaction force, you know, come come help us out. So, uh, man, they, they, were, they were great guys, you know, the, the Apaches out of, it was gunmetal, gunmetal were, were their call signs. And, and I, I owe my life to them and, and the rest of the team does. They were, they were great. Yeah. It's incredible. That happens in 2012. Uh, you said you left the teams in 2013. And yeah, that was, that was pretty rough, man. Yeah. Um, I, uh, so I came back, I was with that Southern team down, uh, you know, first group down in uh, Southern Afghanistan, then a combat controller and the team leader from third group up in Wardak province got hurt. So since we were closing down that Southern point, uh, my, you know, my chain of command said, Hey man, we need a controller, replace this guy that got hurt, go up to third group up in Wardak. So I said, okay. So I went from like frying my, my butt off in the South to like now, you know, getting snowed in in Wardak Providence. Uh, and I was with a third group team and, uh, man, it was 3126, uh, you know, if you look up Nick, Nick Lavery, he, he was one of my bravos. You know, yeah. We've had, Nick, we've had Nick on this yeah. show before. Oh, I love Nick, man. He's super yeah. good. dude. That whole yeah, thing is solid. Yeah. That, He's that a freaking thing. beast. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah <laughs> what I saw was like, how are you not playing college ball? I'll tell you about, about him, but yeah, yeah no, so we, had, we had we had Nick, we had Nick on the show months ago, and uh, yeah. man, I had a great conversation with him. It was awesome. Yeah, Nick, I love that dude. Yeah, Nick and Adam and all mm-hmm. you know, all those dudes are all those dudes are great. Um, but yeah, so I, I went up there, and and you know it sucked because we got snowed in towards the end because it was towards the end of my rotation, and the team leader that replaced him was Andrew Peter uh, Peterson Keel, and he was it was his first command as a Green Beret, and. I, I rip out, I was going to go assess for the two, four. And, and, you know, he was living in North Carolina. So he was like, Hey man, when you go assess, just stay at my house. And once you make it, we'll just party all the time. I have a good time. You know, I was like, Hey, that's great. I, I leave. And then two weeks later, man, there's a huge green on blue attack. I'm sure that's how Nick lost his leg. Yep. And uh, Andrew took one in the head. So the squad leader, the dog and man, I, I was, I was home. I was in San Antonio and I think it was like, 10 days later, 14 days later, you know, my commander calls me and like, Hey man, you gotta, you gotta call me when you stop driving, you know? And I, I did. And, you know, he was telling me that, you know, half my team, you know, at first he's like, I think most of your team is dead. And it, I mean, it, you know, I drove to my mom, you know, to my mom's place of work and, you know, I was, uh, I was, doing, I was balling and, and, uh, you know, um, later I heard that my, my team leader was, was the one that was killed. And, uh, so <laughs> I packed up my stuff, drove back to Florida because I was stationed at two, three. And I remember walking to my commander's office. I was like, man, send me back. All my stuff's back. I, all I need is radio, my night vision, my weapon, and, and just send me back. I know the dudes are, are, are okay, but I want to be another shooter. I don't even need to control air. And my commander did the right thing, man. He, 
you know, he kept me from probably committing war crimes, you know, because I was yeah. going to go back and, and get some revenge. But uh, after that, I, since I couldn't go back and he, he said, man, maybe you need to become an instructor. And I said, no, I, if I can't be with the guys, I, I, I was in 15 years and, and I said, nope. And then the camp, you know, politically, I, I thought Hillary Clinton was going to win. And I, I was like, hell no, I'm not serving under that one. So I, I, I punched out. I said, no, I'm out at 15. Yeah. And, and that's how I left the teams, man. I, mm. I, it was just time for me to go, I guess. And then Trump went, and I was like, holy cow. My teammates were calling me like, get back in, man. It's, it's great again. <laughs> that's wild, man. Like, just yeah. the, the turn of events, right? But, you know, the path gets put before you, and you don't always know what it is going to be. And we're not privy to get to know his plan for us in the grand scheme of this thing of life. And so there's yeah. a reason why it all takes shape the way it does. And, yeah, you probably look back on it and you're like, man, maybe I should have done this. Maybe I should have done that. But you never know, right? Like, he's got yeah. the plan for us. No, it all worked out, man. Uh, I mean, it was really rough transition. Uh, but now, you know, I know we're going to get into it, but, yeah. you know, it, it took a really long time. But, um, you know, I'm th- I think God did. I mean, I used to pray for death, man. Survivor's guilt was the thing that, mm. that crushed me the most. Um, and I just kept losing friends, you know, after I got out. So luckily I um, had a good VA doc and and he did his job. And, you know, I had my mom and my dad, and, you know, and, and teammates, you know, good people that obviously knew there was something wrong. And and I stayed in the fight, you know, a lot of praying and stuff. And uh yeah, luckily uh, it all worked out, and I, I'm kind of we'll get into this other purpose. Yeah, what he asked, but yeah, man, it's been uh, it was a long road for sure. So it ultimately leads to this journey now, where you're running for Congress in Texas. Before we talk about that, um, the mental battle, right, for what you guys have been asked to do on behalf of our nation. I, I think a lot of people, unless they've lived it, and I've only heard about it in stories from friends like you and others is it's incredibly powerful, man. And, and you've lost buddies in combat and you've lost them off the battlefield as well. And in fact, it's what spurred you to start the first there foundation when a friend committed suicide in, in, in around 2020, but just, it's not easy to talk about, but do you mind talking a little bit about just that mental battle and just, I mean, you've seen it firsthand. Yeah. Um, you know, I, like I was saying, when I, when I left the teams, uh, I mean, you know, there's plenty of great people in our organization that look out for combat veterans and veterans in general. But when I would go, um, to some of these groups, uh, you know, I would introduce myself and I was, and I would say I'm a combat controller and people were just looking at me like, there's no way one, you're an air force dude, never heard of air force having special forces on the ground. So I just got tired of saying, man, just Google after a while, I just started saying, just Google combat control. I don't have the time to explain to you. So I was pretty, pretty lost and and pretty, I, I felt forgotten, you know, I, and it, the Air Force does a great job at promoting, obviously, the aircraft, right? You think Air Force, you think fighter jets. Um, but, I, you know, the combat combat control has been a choir professional and it's stuck to that warrior ethos that, unfortunately, now, after 20 years of fighting, people still don't know who we are. And we've been in every major battle, you know, Captain Phillips and, you know, the Bin Laden thing. I mean, we've mm-hmm. just been everywhere. But anyway, so... I, when I got out, it, it was, it was really rough transition trying to, trying to, and then even when you go get a job, people look at a resume and they're just like, I don't know what a combat controller is. Thank you for your service, but whatever. Uh, so fast forward and, um, my buddy, Chris Rush, uh, great, great operator, man. I mean, he taught me, he was my first supervisor as a, as a combat controller, super funny guy. If you looked at him, I mean, he always had a dip in, always drinking Diet Coke. His lip was blue. <laughs> I, was like, 
I was like, I think one kid one day he's like, hey, do you get oxygen to your brain? And he cussed him out. You know, he's pretty funny, pretty thin guy. You know, you look at him like there's no way. But when it came to, I mean, to, to warfare, that dude was, yeah. I mean, he was he was amazing. And uh, you know, the 20 years in retires, moves back, moves to Florida, Herbert Field, where there's a ton of us. And six months out, man, he he does it. You know, he his pain and the demons of, of war and whatever he experienced. And, and most of us are pretty quiet guys. You know, it's, it's, I, I don't know why that is. And I think it's getting better, but we don't, we don't really like to talk about it. And I mm-hmm. think I, I see that. So now I'm, I'm open about it because I want guys to, to know that it, if it happened to me, you know, it's probably happening to you or someone you, you love check, check on them. So when I found out that, that Chris did that, especially being surrounded by a bunch of, you know, guys that live there and train there, it just broke my heart, man. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, I, I, with the help of a couple of people and, and I started looking into it and I said, you know what? I want Chris's nephews and, and, and family members to know what he's done. So I started the First Air Foundation. Um, it, it just, I woke up one, one early morning, like three in the morning. I started typing away, you know, mission plan and, every, you know, mission statement and filed the paperwork and, and, and we're doing well. Um, it's, it's, it's to help combat controllers, obviously, and their families. And I also want the world to know what a combat controller is. And, uh, you know, there's a movie coming out about it, and hopefully this November, early next uh, spring, about John Chapman. John Chapman was our first Medal of Honor recipient. And, uh, you know, it's it, people just need to know combat control. I, I don't, we're not looking for the fame or anything like that. We just want that acknowledgement and people in the Air Force to start saying, Hey, there's combat controllers because if you look at their videos, they say, "Oh, special warfare," or mm-hmm. you know, they don't really. And anytime you see them in the news, they kind of soften that, say, that that title, right? Just like airmen of special tactics or air commandos, or I mean, it's the constant name change, which people are just like, "I don't know who these people are." If they just said, "Hey, combat controllers," it would just alleviate all that, and and I think people would just start really picking up on it. But. Uh, yeah, first there's for the guys. It's an extension of the team room for sure. Yeah. Uh, the website, firstthere.org? Yeah, it's, it's, don't spell out the word first. It's uh, number one, S-T, and then the T-H-E-R-E dot org. Yeah, first there. And uh, yeah, take a look at it. Uh, you know, we're I'm super proud of it. I've gotten a lot of help from teammates and everybody's a community. We're so small. I think since it started, I don't even think there's 5,000 combat controllers since it started. So yeah. I mean, that's all we are now. You guys will remember, we were just so honored to have Thad Forrester join the show. His brother, Mark yeah. killed in combat as a combat controller. Uh, so definitely go back and listen to that. We talked quite a bit about uh, Mark's valor and what he did in paying the ultimate price. All right, my brother. So all this ultimately uh, head way into your next journey in life. And again, sort of first there going back on the front lines. And so now you are, you are it, the great thing about what I've loved about our conversations. You listen to this, you're like, Eric sure doesn't sound like a lot of people running for, for Congress. And I'm like, good. Uh, that's why we probably need more of it. So now the fight takes you to uh, the 28th district in the great state of Texas running for Congress. And uh, how's, how's all that fall into place for you, man? when did you start looking at it? How's it all come to be? I want to play if it's cool with you, I'd love to play the ad. And I'll tell you what, we, we don't Absolutely. have a lot. We don't have a lot of political conversations on our show. We talk sure. a lot about service and purpose, but, but I think there are some pretty incredible 
I'll tell you this much. I've been I've been working in politics and public affairs for a long time. Right. I've, I've worked on political campaigns. I've created a lot of uh, political ads uh, for presidential candidates and for Congress and Senate. Right. In, in previous life, I've never seen an ad like what you guys created for years. So, first of all, I'll get it teed up. But tell us a little bit about why you're here, why your journey brings you to this. Yeah, I yeah I was living in Dallas, and then uh, my old when I first got out, my first job was uh, working at the Texas Senate, and that, that kind of put the bug in there, you know, the seed. And then I was working in Dallas, and then I my old my first boss hired me to come down to Austin, so I moved to Austin. I was just seeing the way Austin used to be a super fun place to party and have a good time, and yeah, Sixth Street, man, getting yeah, after. Sixth Street was epic, man. I mean, when I was in college, right, doing stuff I shouldn't be doing with, you know, but I was just out having a blast and. Uh, it was just a shame, you know, they, the, the, it was a Democrat run city or it is. And, and it's it just going, it was just terrible, but there's homelessness and drugs everywhere and trash. And, and I, I said, well, I, I need to run for mayor, uh, hmm. but talking to some of the consultant groups and, and, you know, our buddy Casey, he's like, man, there's no way, there's no way you, you can't win there. Uh, so I was at my desk job, you know, working for the state. And uh, I said, you know what, I need to go where there's the friction point, which was the border. So I looked at the Congress and, and Casey put me in touch with some right people. And it's like, yep, get in there, man. And, and uh, that's what I did. I just yeah. I said, okay, I'm going to run for Congress. And, and uh, you know, but like a month later, that's, that's what I'm doing. It's been a, it's, it's a different battlefield for sure. But, you know, you get, you know, when I was a young airman that, you know, you complain about getting up early, shining your boots at the time. And my first supervisor always said, Hey, if you want to, you just can't complain. You you want to change it. You got to change it from within. So mm-hmm. I, you know, said, okay, I do. I'm going to change it from within. So threw myself in the arena and, and you know, um, getting in there, but uh, yeah, Casey and his team did an awesome job uh, putting this thing together. It's actual combat footage from, from my helmet cam and, yeah, it's it's awesome, man. I, I yeah, that that's what that's what's so incredible about it is the way that you guys put it together. It's incredibly fast paced. It's got combat footage from your helmet, which is just that's what I think is super unique about it. So I'm going to play it right. And, and guys, yeah. guys and gals listening, it's the first time we've ever played a political ad on this show in, in the 80 episodes. So we're making some history here. But the reason why I think it's important is one. Yeah, look, Eric's going to talk about a lot of political issues that are important to him. Right. And so whether you agree with them or disagree with them, that that's fine. Right. You can have those agreements. We don't have to agree on everything. They're, they're his views on what he thinks the country needs to change to get us heading in the right direction. I happen to agree with him on a lot of them, if not all of them. And that's fine. Right. We can agree to disagree. But what I think is neat is you've got a man who, like others, and we're starting to see more of this emerge, who have been on the front lines, who have served our nation, who have worn the nation's uniform, who aren't just looking to go to Washington, D.C. to be a suit and have a job and be up there for 50 to 60 years and make a ton of money. They're doing it out of service to the nation. I think that's the important part. Whether you were a Republican or a Democrat on this show with me today, if you were positioned to go serve our country because you've served it before and worn the uniform, I think there's something to that. And I think we need more of that. Quite frankly, I think we need more of it on both sides of the aisle. I think Tulsi Gabbard was a great example on the other side of the aisle, right? Uh, she kind of got pushed out. But uh, yeah. so so I think that's the important piece, right, in all this is this continued sense of service, right, and why they're doing it. So let's play the ad because I think it's awesome. And then I want to talk about it a little bit and why you're looking to do this. All right, here we go. You know the drone is overhead, but you can't hear it. You hear the gunshots, but you don't know where they're coming from. A war is going on. Innocent lives are at risk. 
It sounds like one of my many tours to the Middle East. But it's here, in our own backyard. I'm Eric Holman. I was born on that side of the border. My family and I came here the right way. I grew up in San Antonio, joined the military, and became America's most lethal weapon system, an Air Force combat controller. In a firefight, we're the ones protecting the team, controlling attack aircraft, and directing them to kill the enemy. America's urgent threats have moved right here on the border. Due to petty politics in Washington, D.C., that's why I'm running for Congress. I know I don't look like your typical Republican or politician. That's because I'm a man of action. I know I'm not alone when I say enough is enough. It is up to us to fight the left socialist woke mob for rotting America from the inside and leaving our defenseless to the outside. They want us to live in fear, become reliant on big government, divide us, take our guns, take our property, and defund our police. We are under attack, and that's my specialty. I'm Eric Holman, and my pledge is this. I will always vote to secure the border, stand side by side with law enforcement, and stand against vaccine mandates. So here I am, send me into that mess. Join me in the fight for America, for Texas. What do you say? Estás conmigo? All right, so you, meant, you mentioned Casey. I know the guy who made that ad for you. It's yeah. freaking great. He's like a polar oh, yeah. bear of a guy. Played football <laughs> Wyoming in college. Great dude. Estás conmigo at the end. I absolutely love it, right? Great rallying yeah. cry. Well, and again, I'll go back to like what I like about it is, I, look, you, you have to be political in when you make a political ad, right? You, you yeah. have to attack and you got to talk about the things that you care about. But I, I really appreciate the way in which you did it here from your service and the, and the things that are important to you right now. And so get after it, dude, I was fired up when I watched that. Thing. Yeah. 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 When Casey said it to me, man, because I, I, I told him, I don't want a typical, you know, not, not against anybody else, but a lot of those political ads, you know, no, it's the guy crazy. walking in the field and they, yeah. you know, it's like, and it just sounds to me fake, right? They, they try to get angry and, I get you know, it. It, and I was, I'm just not, I mean, I'm not that way. I mean, even when we were shooting the video, Jake, you know, that works with, with Casey, he's like, can you get angry? Or I was like, dude, when I'm just even keeled. I'm going to be me, yeah. It takes, yeah. yeah, it takes a, little, a lot of things for me to, to get angry, you know, even in a firefight. I mean, you heard me on the radio. It's, you got to stay calm because if, you, if you're not calm under pressure when bullets are flying, aircraft can't hear you. And if aircraft don't understand what the hell you're saying, you're not going to protect the team. You're, you're going to end up getting killed. So, yeah, that was a little, that was a little difficult, man. But um, I think you said it best, dude. I, you know, I remember growing up when, when, you know, at the time when you're a kid, you don't realize, you know, the voting stuff, right. Or the parties, but now it's gotten so divided that either you're left or right. And instead of saying, Hey, we're Americans, we don't like, let's not forget who we are and let's figure this out. And some of these politicians that you mentioned, they've been there for 40 years, you know, and, it's all about them. They're power hungry, obviously. They're greedy because they're not doing what it's what we're what we're supposed to be doing. What the forefathers intended to do was mm-hmm. to, to unite the people, get in there, you know, bring your experience from being an you know a, a tip, you know a private citizen. Go in there, say what's going on, try to fix it, and then leave and let somebody else come in. You know, um, the division of this country is what's driving us apart. And if you I mean, you you look at the Roman Empire when they conquered big countries, it's divide and conquer, and and that's what it is right now. I mean, if you and now and you don't have to listen to me because I'm on the Republican side. I mean, just look at what they're doing. I mean, it's constant. You know, either you're racist or, you know, you 
you're just completely against the U.S. government. It's it's cool to be unpatriotic. It's just like what against God? I mean, it's just all the values that we have as Americans and what's made America super strong. It, it's now rotting from the inside, like I mentioned in the video, and it's it's just terrible. Yeah, that's what's so frustrating for me, and honestly, it's a reason why we started this podcast almost a year ago, man, by February 22nd, we'll be at this thing for about a year. And by that point, we'll probably be nearing 90 episodes or closing in on a hundred. And, and part of it is to, to show the real good that is America, right? The America that is what you and your buddies did for each other in the firefight, the America that liberated Europe, right? The America where American flags still fly in windows in France today. Yeah. Right. You know, the America that ended slavery in our country, right? All of those things uh, I think are important. And so I tip my cap to you. You got a, you got a bench of uh, former military members that are making runs at, at office now. Uh, Morgan yeah. Luttrell, right? Marcus Luttrell's yeah. brother doing the same in the state of Texas. You got a guy like Dan Crenshaw who's in office now. Quite frankly, I, I think we need more of that. I think we need more people who know about real service to then go represent people in Washington. Because um, my gut tells me you're your uh, your moral compass or even your your level of dedication, discipline and commitment is likely different than uh, than others. And it doesn't mean everybody, but I'm with you, man. I think we need more of it. Uh, absolutely. I think, it, you know, people, the politicians we have elected is they're forgotten about the people. Right. And then it's also the voters fault, too. I mean, let's give her some responsibility to the voters because if, if they didn't vote and then just those loonies voted to put those guys in office, then, I mean, that's what you get. Yeah. You know? We all got, we all got to step up and take responsibility. Yeah. Right. Sure. If you, if you see something happening that you think you can impact change on, then go do something about it. Right. Like Eric's yeah. doing, Eric's like, you know what? I got more in me. I got more, I got more work to do. I got more that I can give my state and my country. So I'm going to go do that. And then the same for us, right. You go in that voting booth, man, that, that is a sacred, should be a sacred honor. Right. Sure. And, uh, and take it seriously and, and, uh, and do your work on it uh, yeah. and be ready to stand by it too. Yeah, one hundred percent. I mean, you, we gotta take, we all gotta take responsibility. And, and if you, uh, there's a great meme. I love memes, man, because they're hilarious and they're pretty brutal. Yeah. And, uh, I wish, I wish America could get back to kind of joking around at everybody being so sensitive. Dude, we get you gotta be able. To that. <laughs> there's that one that has like a life cycle. It said, uh, you know, tough men or tough times bring tough men. Yeah. Tough men, good times, good times bring weak men, and and that's where we are, man. All, yeah. all those dudes have fought. I think that's where you see the big influx of. of guys like me running for, for office mm-hmm. because we need to fix it now. We like, we left this, we entrusted America and our communities to you guys. And now you, the good times have brought weak, spineless, greedy people that are rotting America. So I think yeah. now we're picking up the flag again and be like, all right, let's get back into the breach and do something. Yeah. You're like, well, we're going to have to step back into it. Yeah. All right. There's two places you guys can find Eric. One is Eric Holman, E-R-E-R-I-C-H-O-H-M-A-N, EricHolman.com. There's also that first there, uh, dot org. And remember it's at one S T, uh, first there, Eric, man, listen, congratulations. Best of luck. Thanks. I know you got, I know you got a, a road in front of you. I think you've got a March primary. Is that right? So the March primary, one. Yes. Yeah, uh, so uh, primary March. And then you get through that. You got general election in November. 
It's a long road ahead, man. It's going to be a lot of ups and downs. I know you're, I, I got to imagine, I'm like, man, talking to Eric, hearing how motivated he is, I got to imagine you're burning up the shoe leather out there, knocking on doors and introducing yourself to Yeah, me. every day, man. Every day since I started. I'm actually using the same boots I wore in that on my last deployment, those Merrells. They're, they're just so worn in and comfortable. God, I love it. I love yeah, it. Yeah. So if you're looking for a tattooed badass to send to Congress and you live down in Texas, Eric might be your guy. Yeah. Uh, and you're right. There's just a different look to it, man. But I think we need some more of that. I mean, think about like the, the, the original founders, they, they, they probably had different looks to them that, you know, they were farmers and they were all these different things Served their country. They went back home afterwards. Yeah. Absolutely. Man. I, we just got to do that. You got to stay generous and take care of America and, you know, that's that's what i mean you're serving that's what it, yeah. it is it's serving yeah. the people yep all right man let's stay in touch let's catch up down the road too you got Thanks, a lot brother. of work to do so we can't take up too much more of your time every every minute spent with me is a minute away from the campaign so get back to it uh, no worries no worries i appreciate the time thank you so much it's my pleasure he's eric holman his website eric holman.com e-r-i-c-h-o-h-m-a-n.com he's also doing incredible work with the first their foundation we are grateful for his service eric we tell it to everybody that served our nation when they come on thank you for what you've done and for what you continue to do we'll catch up with you down the road all right brother it was my honor thank you so much for having me he's eric holman i'm brian jodas and this has been pick up the six podcast <laughs>